Hey guys, so when you listen to the podcast and you hear the title SSAW Live Sports Podcast presented by the Craft Factory, you're probably wondering, what does the SSAW stand for? Well, it stands for Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide. It's a huge Facebook group community that only talks about sports all day, every second, every hour. And from there, make sure that you type in the letters SSAW or just type in the full name Specialized Sports Analysis Worldwide on Facebook. When you click on it, make sure you put a request in. One of the founders will click on your request. And from there, you join a huge community that loves to simply talk about sports every day and every second. We talk about a wide variety of things from basketball to football to soccer to everything, you name it, even world wrestling entertainment, everything under the sun. We love to talk about it because we simply just love sports. So again, it's a Facebook group, a huge community that's waiting for you. Make sure you type that name in and we'll welcome you wholeheartedly. Welcome to SSAW. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Diamond Talk. The place where you come and fill out your post, you know, Super Bowl blues. We just saw one of the greatest athletes, you know, former, you know, Detroit Tiger draft pick just dominate on the world's biggest sports stage. All right, well, not the world's biggest sports stage, but America's biggest sports stage. And of course, we're talking about the Super Bowl out here. But Nick, Rob, man, how you guys doing? We're here, man. We're doing good. Ready to talk some baseball. Ready to talk shit about some of these pitchers. Yeah, man. There we go. Glad football season's over. We can get that out of the way. But side note. The Detroit Tigers have drafted more Super Bowl quarterbacks than the Detroit Lions. So that is that is a fact. As of last night, that is a fact. Man, look, not not for nothing, dude. How how crazy is it? You saw I don't know if you guys have seen those uh like highlight videos of Mahomes playing baseball, but dude looks legit. He looks like a monster on the mound. Yeah. There's like some pretty good crossovers. Like, even if you look at a guy, I don't know if you saw I forget whether it was last year or the year before where, like, Russell Wilson was taking some at-bats for the Yankees in, like, spring training. I'm over here like, yo, low-key, even though he was, like, striking out, his swing is better than a lot of major leaguers, <laughs> if we're going to be real. I don't know, man. I also did think Russell Wilson was trash, though. Like, before that, I think people make yeah. more about Russell. I'm just saying baseball-wise, baseball-wise. Football-wise, no, you know. Like, <laughs> I'm saying, like, he's not going to get hits. But, like, in terms of his mechanics, like, look at his swing. His swing, his swing is better than a lot of other guys' swings. I was like, at least he has that. But hey, you know, football is his thing, so he don't really got to worry about baseball that much. Man, you know, you know what I want to talk about, guys. Actually, and this is a part that kind of, I, I guess, I kind of make the biggest deal about this, man. But I wish baseball would market themselves like they do football and basketball. Like, how crazy is that, man? It's the Super Bowl is where you have two of the most prominent Hispanic women show out and you have A-Rod dancing in the crowd. I wish MLB could do anything half as that. Like, how crazy would it be? Seventh inning stretch, World Series. Yeah, you, you know, you obviously have seven games and you don't have to do it on the field or anything, man. But you just have like a, you know, you have like Shakira off to the side doing her thing for the seventh inning stretch. You know, okay. she sings a, she sings a song and then we're, we get back to playing. Like, I don't know. I, I feel like the MLB should capitalize on that. 
But Nick, man, what if you what are your takeaways from the Super Bowl, man? I, I know this is a baseball show, but was there anything you took that you want to uh, kind of translate to baseball? No, nah, man, it's, it's it's just a completely different game. I mean, there's there's no way really to bring that element into it. Um, you know, the show part of it, um, the All Star game, you can. The only thing that I would like, you know, in regular baseball, is just to mic up players throughout the year, even in regular games. There's obviously some stuff to that, but I mean, it's just such a different world. I just don't think you can translate it over. Well, I mean, if we need like mic up and use technology with our baseball players, I think we have a team that could help us out with yeah, that. Yeah, they've already got the they've already got the jump start on that. Uh, I'm saying, nah, man. Well, yo, what about you, Nick? Is there anything you kind of took from last night that you wish was implemented in baseball? Just as far as like the media stuff, or maybe even just like the lead up to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think like you said, I think baseball could use a lot better coverage and more overall marketing of their players. Um, there, there's a lot of different stars in baseball you can market in different cities. I feel like baseball tends to focus a lot on their bigger markets, and you have guys like. You know, like even if you look, if you move a little bit away from football, you look at the NBA, for example, you look at a guy like Giannis Atetokounmpo out in Milwaukee, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers have Christian Yellick, who's one of the biggest stars in the game. But, you know, for a casual, you might not know that because, you know, for some reason you're paying you're paying more attention to, you know, guys out with the Dodgers and the Yankees and things like that. Um, so I, th- I think they got to do a better job of just advertising the guys that are in the smaller markets. However, by the same token, I really do think baseball <laughs> is just like craving a huge market World Series. Like, I, th- I think I think the insiders in baseball would be lying to themselves if they didn't think that or like if they didn't weren't pushing somehow for a Yankees and Dodgers World Series just at least one time. I think the, the financial impact that would have on on revenue would would be insane. Um, but yeah, man, it was a pretty good Super Bowl. Patrick Mahomes is a Super Bowl champion. I know, you know, our buddy CJ is probably sad that his 49ers couldn't get it done. But, you know, Patrick Mahomes is a beast and you got to give him credit for that. Yeah, look, man, all, all I got to say is, man, look, my mom is Dominican born. She didn't get to this country. She was, she was, she was like in the mid 20s. I don't think she saw like a color television. So she was like 25. And I have this woman texting me at halftime of the Super Bowl. Telling me like who that I think performed better between Shakira and J Lo. So I'm just saying, it's that Shakira, kind of impact. Shakira, I'm gonna well, answer that right now. It was Shakira. Yo, J Lo, you know, I gotta give her the Puerto Rican love, but it was Shakira. All I keep thinking in my head is like that sound that would come out if like uh, like Shakira made that sound. Like, oh, 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 oh. like that's. <laughs> that's oh, like, this is a family show, bro. It's a family show. <laughs> I'm just saying. That's 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 all I keep thinking. I'm, like, I'm there's too many memes out there. I'm a fan of that sound as well. <laughs> <laughs> nah, man. But look, let's get let's get to what we have to get to, man. And that's our starting pitchers list today, man. We have uh, our top five again. We, we did it consensus style. We took our top tens between Nick, Rob, and I, and we narrowed it down to five. And you know, this this list is kind of one of our more traditional lists, actually. I don't. I can't say that we have any surprises. I, I don't have it. I didn't see any uh, Luis Robert type players in there. So we're just gonna go ahead and start with number five, guys. And that's. World Series champion, Steven Strasburg. Now, Strasburg's kind of a weird player. And the reason why I say that is because I think most of the time you think of Strasburg, you kind of associate him more with like the injury bug than you do with, you know, a top 10 pitcher in the game. But that being said, man, we'll start off with you, Nick, since you're our resident pitcher guide out here. You know, let us know a little bit what you think about Strasburg. So I'm a big fan of Strasburg. He's had the stuff. I mean, he was number one pick coming out of San Diego State. And... He's just he's solid as can be, and I, my whole thing is I flip flop with him even even just before I flip flop between him and Shane Bieber just because for me on my list I have a number eight 
only because he's been so inconsistent over the years. It's tough, and part of it's injury, part of it's what can he do, what can he not do. And I just struggle with him being in the top five personally because I don't, I'm not sure if he can handle a whole year again. It, I, this feels like a one-off. But when it comes to just straight stuff, I mean, he might have the best four-pitch repertoire of any pitcher in the game. His fastball, curveball, change, and slider are all top level. I can't really think of another pitcher who has four pitches that are above him. There's guys that have better single pitches, but as far as all four. So I can't really hate on the fact that he's number five. But the guys that I have in front of him on my list personally, I think either have more upside or I'm just expecting more from them this year and kind of going forward. And him pitching into the postseason for the first time, you know, deep in the postseason, especially with his injury history, I mean, what does that do for him coming back? You know, so interesting to see what happens. I can't hate that he's number five, especially with how well he did in the World Series. That does go a long way. I mean, if I didn't respect that, then I wouldn't respect a guy like Madison Bumgarner and what he did. So uh, I could definitely see him being at number five. Straight up, Strasburg has Looney Tune type stuff, man. Like, if you went on, you know, you have Bugs Bunny pitching out there, those pitches would move kind of like Strasburg pitches do. And, you know, as far as his injury risk, you know, 2019 was the only year that he threw over 185 innings in his career. So, you know, he's not on the mound enough for you to kind of think of him as that elite top tier pitcher. But, you know, you come off a World Series ring. I mean, yeah, a World Series championship. And you also, you know, you end up top five in the Cy Young. You're gonna get, you're gonna get praise, and we just hope he stays healthy. But Rob, man, what do you have on Strasburg? I think uh, Steven Strasburg fell perfectly here at this number five spot, and you know, not not just looking at him being at number five, but based off the discussion that we were just having in terms of marketing. You know, I think that in my, in my personal opinion, in the last two or three seasons, we've actually been able to see the real Steven Strasburg. And what I mean by that is, you know, a lot of people might have just found out about Steven Strasburg if they're, if they're casual baseball watchers just from watching this past postseason run. But to draw a bit of a comparison, a lot of people might not really realize how hyped Steven Strasburg was coming into the league. Like he was one of the most hyped pitching prospects in recent memory. Like I can honestly say I remember watching Steven Strasburg debut against the Pittsburgh Pirates the same way that I was sitting a couple nights ago watching Zion Williamson debut for the Pelicans. I mean, this kid came out with huge expectations and got a win and 14 strikeouts in his debut in the major leagues. And then unfortunately, you know, he was hit by some injuries um, and he, he kind of spent a couple of those weird, you know, seasons in which he wasn't really involved in the discussion too much when you're thinking of the top pitchers in baseball. But he definitely made people remember this past season. I mean, he put up great regular season numbers. And to go along with that, he completely dominated the postseason. I mean, if you look at his his recent performance with the Nationals, he had he's had two top five Cy Young finishes in the last three seasons. And now we know for a fact, without question, that he'll be Max Scherzer's co-star in Washington after he signed that seven-year, $245 million deal to stay in Washington. And the thing that's interesting with Strasburg is, um, as I was doing research today, trying to compile this list, you know, another guy who had who I had a little lower on my list, but who, for the most part, people would agree has been a better or they would say has been a better pitcher in the last maybe four or five seasons is someone like Chris Sale. And when you actually look at their numbers, they both pitched 10 years in the major leagues and their numbers are pretty similar. I mean, Chris Sale started off his career as a reliever, then transitioned into a starter. But their numbers are pretty similar in terms of, you know, games pitched and wins and, and you know, ERA and things like that. 
Um, so I, I kind of found that a bit interesting, but I, uh, you guys pointed a bit to, to Strasburg's stuff, and I think the key with him is evolution. He came in as a guy who was throwing triple digits, and we've been able to see a lot more breaking stuff for him. And, you know, I think it's great for the Washington Nationals that they finally have the real Steven Strasburg in that rotation as, you know, they go into the season as defending champions, and it's only looking up from here. So I know Nick mentioned that he is kind of um, afraid or timid about the injuries. Do you have that same kind of fear with um, Strasburg going next year? Yeah, I mean, it's always in the back of your mind. You know, I think you can you can say the same thing with guys like Kershaw. Um, you know, you have guys like Chris Sale, who I mentioned before, but Chris Sale kind of had like a minor thing going on this year. We don't know if he might necessarily need something like Tommy John surgery. So it's always in the back of your mind, especially when a guy has um, Tommy John. But, um, you know, I think he's been able to put up great numbers in the past few seasons. I think I think everyone would probably agree that the injury um, or the thought of the injury risk has gone away a little bit. It's certainly still there, but I would say it's probably not there as much as as maybe like three or four years ago. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that's the biggest thing with Strasburg. Yeah, he, he's got to stay on the mound, and we know with, with a team like the Nationals who just won the World Series, I think they should probably hold them back a little bit earlier on the season and just hope that they're good enough to get into the postseason again. Because we saw how good Corbin Scherzer and obviously Strasburg could be in that kind of series, and you know Annabelle Sanchez should probably throw him in there too because he did perform really well this postseason. But with that, man, let's go to number four. Number four is his teammate. And I have a feeling his teammate, you know, Max Scherzer we're talking about, would be a lot higher had it not be, been the way that he kind of went about last season as far as kind of being the one of the least productive seasons he's had in the last five. And we're talking about, you know, like I mentioned, Max Scherzer, this is the first year that he really wasn't deep in that Cy Young conversation. And, you, you know, we'll go, we'll go back to you, Nick. You know, Max Scherzer, man, you had him pretty high up. You had him at four. Did you have him at four? Yeah. Yeah, you did have a Matt for. All right. So let us know about Max Scherzer and what he brings to the game. I mean, Max Scherzer is a bulldog. He's just nothing but hard. I mean, he's got tons of talent, too. Don't get me wrong. But it's just so what a weird career path to go from Arizona to Detroit and just start pitching so late that, you know, now he's coming to his prime with, you know, with how old he is. Um, I think age 33 season he's going into, if I'm not mistaken. But he's a stud on the mound. I think he's even older. Is he? Man. Uh, yeah, he'll be 35 this year. So. I mean, he's just he's a stud of the mound. He's the guy you want leading your staff because he doesn't leave anything behind. There's nothing you wouldn't want your other pitchers to do in following him. When it comes to the stuff, a number that I've really gotten into over the last couple of years for pitchers, whip's always been my favorite. Um, it just it makes the most sense to me. It's how many base runners does the hitter does the pitcher put on base for every inning that he pitches. And when I played ball, the number to always go for was 1.25, 1.3. If you're 1.3 in college, you're a pretty good pitcher. You're probably going to get your innings if you're 1.25 or lower. You know, you're kind of one of the go-to guys. And Scherzer's always been around the 1, the 1.1. He's solid in that category. I mean, the last four years before this last year, he was under a 1 for all four years. And he's just, he's got a great fastball. He's got great bulldogs. But the number that I've gotten to recently is strikeout percentage versus walk percentage. And I used to look at K per nine and walks per nine as the baseline. But then, you know, doing research and looking at the percentage of the batters you face versus compared to how many innings you're throwing. And he's number two in the league last year. And if it wasn't for the injury that he had to keep his innings down, he might be the number one guy. And with the other guys that are on this list, unfortunately, that one year of missing, you know, 30 innings brings you to number four. But he had a 30.5, or sorry, 30.3 strikeout minus walk percentage ratio which again is number two in the league, number two or three. And he's just a stud. There's nothing wrong with him. But when you, if you're talking about going into 2020 and what you're expecting, 
this last year has got to say a lot. And, you know, the other guys that are going to be up there that everybody knows, one guy didn't change teams. One guy's a stud that we just went off last year and changed teams. And then another guy hasn't changed teams. So if you've got guys in pretty much the same situation or on top of their game as they were last year, Max Scherzer only falls in because of the injury. But if he's healthy a full year, uh, there's nothing that doesn't put him back up to, you know, number one in the game. Yeah, I think that that is my biggest concern with, with Max Scherzer is the fact that over the last four or five years, he has thrown so many innings. And last year, when it came down the stretch, he just didn't have the same kind of, I don't know, like he just seemed tired. He seemed a little bit run down. He seemed like he was trying to push through something to get out in the mound. And that's not something we usually see with Scherzer. You know, he has one of the more violent deliveries in baseball, in my opinion, as far as just he's a max effort kind of guy. You know what I mean? So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I hope he I hope he stays healthy. But, uh, Rob, man, what do you got on Max? Yeah, you know, Nick mentioned that he's a bulldog, and, and I agree with that take, you know, that we call him Mad Max for a reason. He's been the face of consistency and, and elite pitching pretty much ever since he signed with the Nationals back in 2015. You know, I had one of the worst calls uh, earlier this season when I suggested that the Nationals should have traded Serger, um, you know, because I thought, you know, you, you should try to get as much as you can for his value. They were off to a very slow start in the first half. No one realistically, in the, if you're looking strictly at the first half, no one could have predicted the Nationals making such a such a postseason run to get a World Series title. Um, but, you know, they they ended up sticking with Scherzer and it would have been a huge mistake if they would have traded him because Scherzer, Scherzer combined with Strasburg essentially were two of the main pieces that got them that World Series title. And I think the thing, um, you know, with Scherzer, when I say consistency, that's exactly what I mean. If you look at Scherzer's resume, he's averaged 16 wins per season in Washington. He's never had a season under 240 strikeouts. He's never had a season over a three ERA. And he's finished top five in Cy Young voting every single year that he's been in Washington. And he captured two of the awards in 2016 and 2017. I think he further strengthened his resume this past season by being able to, to you know, now call himself a World Series champion along with Steven Strasburg. And I think a good thing for him is that he does have some of the best helpers in the game in Strasburg and a Patrick Corbin to kind of back him, back him up in that rotation. Um, but, you know, we, we did address his or, or Nick addressed his age a little bit, you know, but I don't want anyone to get it twisted. I mean, he still might be entering his age 35 season. But, you know, you look at his numbers, even though they might be a little down from what he, we're used to seeing from Max Scherzer, I think he still very comfortably remains one of the best in the game today. He is, and he's, he's more of a classic pitcher. And by that, I mean, he's still... His, his primary pitch is still a fastball as, as far as how much he uses it, you know. He uses his fastball and his adaptation of different fastballs a lot more than a lot of the guys are seeing today, especially with analytics, you know, saying that guys should throw curveballs more and should throw off-speed more to kind of balance it off. And I think that just gives them the opportunity to develop over time. We see this all the time with, with power pitchers going from, from guys who just throw that heavy fastball so often to – really getting guys off balance. And sometimes you need to make that, you know what I mean? We'll see that with, with Chris Sale, I feel like, coming up pretty soon. But just something to, like, Eric, uh, White Sox fan, there's one, one, of the, one of the things that people have been comparing uh, Scherzer to is Dylan Covey. And he's a dude who's been absolutely terrible for the White Sox. But he's got great stuff. He's got Scherzer-like stuff, you know what I mean? And he just got traded. So everyone's panicking, saying that uh, Covey's going to be the next no-name, big name to come up. So if you guys hear that, you heard it here first. But uh, with that, we're going to go to our number three. And our number three guy should be no surprise. If anything, it's going to be a surprise that he is this low. He's been this decade's best pitcher, in my opinion, or I guess the past decade's best pitcher. I'm talking about Justin Verlander, World Series champion. He's been an MVP, multiple times Cy Young, 
you know, married, uh, married uh, Kate Upton. This guy's done a little bit of everything. So, you know, Rob, we'll start with you this time, man. What do you got in JV? I think when you're looking at, at Justin Verlander, you when you actually look at Justin Verlander's numbers, the first thing that should pop into your head is how many years can Verlander keep this up for? I mean, we you know, we saw a guy out in Detroit at the start of his career who was one of the most dominating pitchers in baseball. And then he had about a good solid three or four seasons in, in Detroit where he was a very good pitcher, but he wasn't a great pitcher. And, you know, since being traded to the Astros back in 2017, I think he's evolved into an even better version than he was when he started off his career. He's had two full seasons in, in Houston. He's had the lowest whips of his career, the second and third lowest ERA seasons of his career, and two of the highest, uh, the, the two highest strikeout totals of his career. So, you know, his best work has essentially been done in two seasons in Houston. And Verlander, to me, he also gets he also gets a slight edge over some other guys um, because I like to give recognition to award winners. Um, I know it, it's not trust me, it's not the end all be all. Um, just because you win awards doesn't automatically mean I'm going to give you a high placement. But, you know, when things are so close like this, I do like to give the edge to a guy who wins an award. And Verlander is coming off a Cy Young Award win the second of his career. Um, and that kind of sounds a little off if you think about it, just saying that it's Verlander's second Cy Young. I feel like he's a pitcher who people would definitely think that he has a lot more than he actually does. And I think the, the key with Verlander is he has the powerful Astros lineup behind them, you know, whether there's going to be use of a garbage can or not. I feel that just that adds a layer of tranquility to any pitcher, knowing that no matter how much trouble you get into, you have one of the best lineups in the league backing you. But he is entering age 37. So I think it's going to be key for us to keep an eye on Verlander and seeing just how long he can keep this up for. Yeah, so track ends aside. Um, so Verlander has a very good defense behind them. Like, you know, Josh Reddick, you know, gold glove type right fielder. Korea, when he's on the field, he's one of the best defensive shortstop in the game, in my opinion, Altuve. Really good with the glove. Bregman, really good with the glove. Last year's pitching in Chirinos, who's, you know, a really good catcher defensively, at least. And George Springer, who's an absolute maniac out of center field. That backed up by Jake Marisnik, who might be even an even better defensive center fielder. So, you know, he had he had some help. But, you know, like you mentioned that he won the Cy Young last year. My biggest concern with him is that he's thrown 40 extra innings every year. Because think about it, when you get to the World Series and you get that privilege... It doesn't mean you're playing longer, and it means you're eating up more innings. So the fact that right. he is an older guy, I can see it taxing on his arm a little bit, you know what I mean? And the last thing I want to say about Verlander for myself personally is that he has bought into the analytics. That's kind of what gave him his second his second win in his career. When he went from Detroit to Houston, he heavily bought into what they had, and I think that was a big help into pushing him forward. But uh, Nick, I know you're probably a big Justin Verlander fan. I feel like he's a little bit of an embodiment of Nolan Ryan in some aspects of his game. But what do you have on JV? Yeah, man. Uh, I, I almost flipped the table seeing him at number three on our list of the consensus because, you know, that's that's just crap. That's just disrespectful. I mean, this dude is has been a stud. He's been an MVP. And, I mean, he just keeps getting better. I just remember watching his first part of his career, you know, the late, the late 2000s. <clears throat> and to see a guy throwing 97-98 in the first inning when 97-98 for starters wasn't, a, wasn't really happening a whole lot. And all of a sudden, he's in 100 in the 8th and ninth inning. And the thing with Justin Verlander is there's certain guys that come along. You just can't explain what's going on. It just is. And to your point of the whole Nolan Ryan mentality, this guy just might have that golden arm in the history of the game where at 35, 36, 37, 
with a change of you know the, the analytics in this game all of a sudden he's just reborn he's just a new guy and the crazy thing to me with justin verlander what i love so much is i've heard a couple interviews of his that he wants to beat the hitter he's not going to pitch around anybody and he wants the hitters to beat him on his best pitch which is the fastball he's a traditional fastball guy he's got great off-speed pitches curveball changeup, but the fastball is his pitch and since he's been to houston he's really gone after hitters and last year to have a whip at 0.803, which is the best since Pedro Martinez. That's insane to me, especially with how live the ball is. Houston's a pretty good hitter's part. Last year, he had 66 runs scored on him. 36 were by home run, which means 55% of the home of the runs he gave up were by the home run. And even with that, 50 with 56% of his runs being to home run, he still had a 2.58 ERA. And his whip is even better than that. I mean, if if he even for a second just said, you know what, I'm going to try to get these guys out without my best pitch or maybe try to pull a little gamesmanship, his ERA easily could have been under two, even a 1-5 with that kind of whip. It's Last year was so mind-boggling to me with the idea of how juiced the ball was and how much offense there was in the game. For this guy to have a .803 whip is just absolutely ridiculous. And I misspoke earlier, Justin Verlander was actually number two in baseball last year, K-minus walk ratio at 30.5. And the age can be scary for sure, but this just might be one of those generational, even couple generational guys that once in a lifetime, even more so than once in a generation, where the arm is something that at some point you just stop questioning and figuring it out and just be like, no, this guy just got touched by God and he's gonna have that arm you know, for a 20 year career. Let's just sit back and enjoy the ride. I don't see him slowing down. I know there's that fear because he's 37, but with the what the analysts give him in Houston to be mentally above everybody else, as well as talent and physical ability, like it's just amazing. I I just you know Degrom is right behind him for me. I have Justin Verlander as number two, and the only reason he's not my number one is because of you know who our number one is and what he did last year. But uh, Justin Verlander is is a stud. I can't wait to watch him again this year and see if he can even get better somehow. Wait, talk about man. How can you be mad at, at the consensus list at having him number three when you you yourself have him at number two? That's one spot away. But that's a big spot. That's a like, because he is to me. He is so much better than everybody else besides my number one. He is he is that much better. He's got more innings pitched. He's got more strikeouts. Uh, he's got a better whip. And honestly, the the stat of fifty five percent of his runs coming off the home run is it's so incredible that he's just attacking hitters and saying, okay, if you're going to beat me, then beat me. But as soon as somebody gets on base, he doesn't give up any more runs. So let's put it this way. He pitched 223 innings last year, right? And he only allowed 30 runs that were not by home run. That's insane. And I think 30 of his 36 home runs were solo shots. The guy just steps up and shoves when there's runners on base and when he needs to. Like the mentality, and at that age, there's just there's not anybody else. I'd rather have, like if I needed one guy to save my life to pitch a game right now, I would pick Justin Verlander. So with that with that comment you just made, and we're just gonna stay with you right now because of that comment. What do you say about those critics in the postseason? Because his postseason stats aren't great. I mean, he still pitches his ass off. You're right. He's definitely not great in the postseason. And mentally, when it comes to the postseason, he does take a step down. It seems like like Kershaw does. But I mean, I haven't dug in, you know, to see like with Kershaw because he's, you know, a dog turd and it's just fun to go back and forth. I've really looked in to what inning he breaks down at in the postseason and what happens when I haven't done that with Justin Verlander. And 
you know, I call me, you know, two faced about it where, you know, I dig it on Kershaw, but I haven't dug it on Verlander. But just what we're seeing year over year with him in the regular season, and he's on a championship team. You know, he does have a ring. He's got the Cy Youngs. He's got the MVPs. Those are all regular season awards, but I'm, I'm just going to keep enjoying the ride. And everybody else that's behind him, the only guy that's behind him on the list that could say he's stepped up more in the postseason is going to be Max Scherzer. And, you know, over, over a couple different postseasons, Steven Strasburg did it for one postseason. They didn't play him in one of the postseasons. So, you know, that, if you want to go straight to postseason, yeah, you definitely have an argument. But as a pitcher, if I wanted one game to be won, I would go with Justin Verlander right now. Look, and I'm just going to say this for everybody out there. Look, unanimous Hall of Famer. There should not, there's not a question about it. He's a Hall of Famer. If you don't vote, you know, Justin Verlander as a Hall of Famer, you're full of shit. He should be 100%, just like a lot of the people before him should have been 100%. He's, it's not a question. And so when that comes down the line, when he retires, five years after that, I don't want to hear the bullshit. Justin Verlander is a unanimous Hall of Famer. Either way, you slice it. All right. So that's the last thing on JV. With that, man, let's get to our let's get to our number two. And you kind of alluded to him a little bit. Uh, that is Garrett Cole, and that was his teammate. He's the guy that that Nick had a number one. Uh, me and me and Rob weren't as quite on that board as Nick was, but because of that, Nick, man, how about you start us off again? Since you you're kind of on that right now, man. Uh, Garrett Cole at number one, man. What do you see? What do you think is coming when he's in pitch stripes? I mean. Dude, going over there, I don't see I don't see how he comes down. He's got the analytic mindset and now he's gonna have the offense. I mean, he's he's going to just as good of a spot as he was in Houston all the way around. The home park in Yankee Stadium will be a little less pitcher friendly, but not a whole lot. And defensively, he's got studs behind him. He's not lacking for defense behind him. So he can just attack and attack and attack. And the only reason I'm having him at number one over Justin Verlander, even though I said Justin Verlander would be the one guy I'd want to pitch a game for me right now if my life was on the line, is I have not seen the mentality for a single game from Garrett Cole, but his stuff is just so good. His whip was just slightly higher than Justin Verlander's. His ERA was lower. His Ks were higher. And that K for strike minus strikeout ratio, Garrett Cole is number one at 34%. So the rate that he's striking guys out, is super high and the rate that he's walking guys is really low the main reason for Garrett Cole being my number one over Verlander is going to be the fact that he seems to be coming into his prime as Verlander is continuing it I don't think Verlander is going to come off of his prime anytime soon but Cole is just getting into it so he still has an upswing he he might still have more there than what we've seen and that's crazy I don't see Verlander getting better than last year if he does holy crap but if I don't see that Garrett Cole, I still see as getting better. And he's just, you know, he's still going up to his peak. He's not there yet. Yeah, no, and I said, look, I think that that's a good comparison when you said that uh, Garrett Cole is going up. He's on his uptick while JV might be on his down, his down swing on it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I can definitely see that. And look, we're going to go to Rob right now. But before the, we go to Rob, I don't know if anyone saw the, you know, the Rock do his intros last night. But I was hyped. So I'm going to try to hype Rob up for this Garrett Cole, you know, his take on Garrett Cole before it starts up. So <clears throat> let, me, let me try to get to it. Now introducing number 45 in pinstripes, the guy that will be Cy Young for the next five years, world champion winner for the New York Yankees. He's getting number 28, 29, 30, and 31 at least. All-world pitcher. You might call him Garrett Cole. But Rob calls him future GOAT. 
Rob, let us know, let us know about Gary like Cole, that. man. What do you like got that. for us? Yeah, so, you know, I it's funny because, like you mentioned, Nick had Garrett Cole at number one, and then the two Yankee fans in here didn't. Um, I had Garrett Cole as my number three pitcher, actually. But, you know, he is a Yankee now. He is going to get all my love um, once I go over why I have him at number three. Plain and simple, the Yankees were finally able to get their white whale. Um, it's, it's no surprise to anyone who follows baseball. The Yankees have been chasing Garrett Cole since he was in college, since he was about to go to college. Um, and you know, I would once again, just like to welcome Garrett Cole to the New York Yankees. I think he's going to be great for us. I think he's going to do great things. We'll finally get you that title that Houston wasn't able to get you. Um, and we'll do it the right way. Don't you worry about that. Um, and you know, I think, I think although he's a Yankee and I was, I was really tempted to rank him higher. I ended up putting him at number three. But the gap between him and the two guys that I have above him, I don't think is that wide by any means. I think Garrett Cole can easily, whoever has Garrett Cole as the number one pitcher in baseball right now, that's totally fine. You have him at number two, great. You have him at three, great. It kind of stops right there. I don't see any real argument. Maybe you push to fourth, but, you know, Garrett Cole is, is pretty much at the top of his game right now. And, you know, coming into the league, he was a very highly touted prospect with Pittsburgh. And he showed signs in Pittsburgh of how dominant he could be. You know, his best season in Pittsburgh was back in 2015, where he went 19-8 and with a 2.60 ERA. Um, but he kind of, he was kind of up and down in Pittsburgh. I think that was his main problem over there was his consistency. Then he got traded to Houston. He's actually coming off his best two career seasons in Houston, especially this past season. Um, you know, how Nick kind of talked about a little bit. He did finish second to Justin Verlander in the Cy Young voting. But, you know, Cole in his own right, he led the league in strikeouts. He led the league in, e in ERA+. Plus. He led the league in FIP, which is a stat that measures the pitcher's effectiveness at preventing home runs and walks. Um, but at the same time, his ability to get strikeouts. Um, so now he kind of goes into this new season being the face, the undisputed ace of, of, of the Yankees in the Bronx. At, and, you know, he'll take essentially he's joining a team where it's kind of World Series or bust mentality and so, you know, he kind of has to live up to a $324 million contract. Um, but yeah, he's he's the undisputed number one right now. And we've talked on, on previous podcasts about how scary that is for the Yankees rotation as a whole. You know, you have a guy who who is not on anyone's top 10 this season. I would argue that that's mainly because of injury. But, you know, you have a guy like Luis Severino who who can be on a top 10 and on in a fully healthy season now essentially going to be a number two. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to what Garrett Cole is about to do in New York. I have him at number three right now. But I also wanted to throw one fun fact out there um, that I read when I was reading um, Buster Oni's rankings of, of how he had these, the pitchers this season. I've kind of been, re to be honest with you, I've kind of been reading Buster Oni's rankings because they're way better than MOB's rankings. Like, MOB's rankings are complete garbage. Um, I'm sorry. Like, I, I can't follow any MOB network ranking. It's, it's, some of them are just very idiotic. Um, but one of the things that Buster po uh, pointed out, he had Garrett Cole at number one. And one of the reasons that he had him at number one was because he said that this past season, Garrett Cole struck out 39.1% of the batters that he faced. And that percentage was more than Sandy Koufax, Nolan Ryan, and Randy Johnson's best season total. And it was even more than Pedro Martinez's 1999 season of 37.5%. So with that, I mean, there is no debate about it. Garrett Cole, if, even if you don't have him as your number one, he is the most dominant strikeout pitcher that the game of baseball has right now. Do you smell what the Rob is cooking? There we go. Give him the yo, title. So, yo, so look, Nafnayo, unconfirmed rumors. Did you pick him up from the airport or not? 
what happened? I said unconfirmed rumors. Did you pick him up from the airport or not? Oh, you know, I sent I sent my my private jet out there. You know, just a little present. But you know, you, I, I didn't waste too much fuel on him. He had three hundred twenty-four million. You telling me you sent a private jet to pick him up from the airport when he got to New York? That's balling. That is pimping, pimping. That's that's what we do for our players. All the fans pitched in money. We all like were able to rent a private jet for about twenty minutes. We went to the US, go pick him up, flew him out a little bit, then brought him back to New York. That's how he signed. I I, I totally believe it. Yeah, look, not for, yo. This is a question for both of you guys. How much money do you think we need to pay Buster Olney for him to sign on with SAW? Nick, we'll start with you. I think he'll do it for free, man. Once he starts <laughs> hearing, listening to us, be like, okay, yeah, let's join, let's join this. All right, no, I'll take that. Rob, what about you? Oh my God, I, I don't know, man. <laughs> he'd he'd be look. I don't know how much money he, we'd have to pay him, but he'd be one of the best additions. He's he's one of the best baseball guys, veteran. I encourage a lot of people out there. If you want to follow someone, talk about the game of baseball. Go with Buster Only. You can't do too wrong. There's there's other good guys out there as well, but you know don't don't be don't be a Brian Kenny out here. Oh, dude. You know what, man? I'm kind of like I originally hated Brian Kenny, and right now my heart's a little like melting for him. Like not. Not like in a big way. Like I think, like okay, like you're trying to do something. Like I don't know. I think you should just all offer Buster. Look, I'll give you a plane ride from Patterson to Titoboro because that's probably all we can afford if we all combine our money <laughs> on a private jet. And if you if you and if you're not from Jersey, that's like a five minute trip, like driving. So that's not far at all. But anyway, I think we've, we've kind of gotten off uh, off guard uh, here with, with Garrett Cole, man. The only the only things I'm I'm a little bit worried about Gary Cole is he is going to a hitter friendly ballpark, and not that not that it wasn't hitter friendly in Houston, but you can essentially take a terrible swing in New York and hit it oppo the other way for a home run. But granted, you have to hit the ball first, which is something that Garrett Cole kind of you know doesn't allow you to do very often. Uh, you know, well, Rob mentioned he revamped his game in Houston. He kind of took that next step in his career. Uh, Yankees are hoping that he stays that way. You know, his, his frame, his body frame is just very good as far as when you project guys to have longevity. He's one of those bigger, you know, thicker guys when you think about what you want in a pitcher. He's kind of Roger Clemens in how he's built as far as having that like, strong bag should be, you know, a long kind of career. And, you know, you know, en- enough on Garrett Cole. We, we, we're wasting our breath here. You guys know how good he is. You just heard our intro, for God's sakes. But number one, man, look, he also reigns in New York. And that's obviously Luis Severino. I'm just kidding. It's not Luis Severino. <laughs> it's 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 Jacob Degrom. He plays for the Mets. He plays for for that other New York team out there in Queens with their with their blue and orange looking kind of stuff. But no, Jacob Degrom has had you know he came off his a career best, absolutely ridiculous year in 2018. 2019 wasn't as good, but man, look, it was still dominant. And he obviously won the Cy Young Award, so he was rightfully. Given that award, man. But look, we'll start off with you, Nick, because you kind of were a hater. You had him all the way at three, man. Only person who didn't have him at one. But what, what do you have on the ground? So Degrom has been a favorite of mine ever since he uh, was in the All Star game. What 2016 when he just decided to strike everybody out on nine pitches and just just mash through the ALs, you know, power bats. Um, I love the way he pitches. He was a shortstop in college, so he can hit. He feels his position well. And, I mean, two-time NL in a row Cy Young Award winner overtaking Matt Scherzer, who has not had, you know, bad years. And the, the best thing for me with DeGrom, and I have no problem with him being at number one on somebody else's list. He's just not on mine. Uh, but the best thing for me with him is he's had such little run support the last few years. And his 2018 of 
I believe, 24 in a row quality starts, which is three inning, or sorry, three runs or less in six innings, is just mind blowing. And that year, he didn't allow more than four runs, not just earned runs. He didn't allow more than four runs in any of his 32 starts. So if his team would have gotten him five runs or more, or sorry, four runs or more in every one of his starts, he would have been 32 and oh. That's just crazy to be that good throughout the entire length of the year. The one thing for me that with DeGrom and the reason he's not above Verlander or Cole for me is he just doesn't have the, oh my God. Like there's not something that you just, it's it's hard to explain why he's so dominant. And the only thing in drilling into his numbers the last few years that I can really see is he really steps up when he's needed, when there's runners on base, kind of like uh, kind of like Justin Verlander. He doesn't give in to the hitter. He makes his pitch, and he makes it better than any other starter in the game. The other thing is he's the best starting pitcher with suppressing the home runs. I believe he has the least home runs allowed the last two years, and that that is important. It's, it's like a different mentality than Verlander, and because Verlander's mentality is go ahead and get me if you can, and he just goes right after guys, I like that a little bit more because... Just to me, it's more of a bulldog mentality. It's more of, you know, you're going to get yours, but once, if you don't get me on this first pitch, then I'm going to get you, you know, when you're on the bases. So for me, the only reason I have DeGrom lower than Verlander and Cole is because there's nothing there that really showcases why he is so dominant other than being able to make a good pitch at the proper time. But there's nothing that explains that from a spin rate to, you know, location to velocity to break you know he doesn't have a top any one of his pitches in the game as far as uh the pitch effects which ranks an individual pitch for a pitcher none of his pitches are in the top 10 for starters and it's it, there's when you can't explain why somebody's so good it's hard to put him over other guys where you can't explain why he's so good and that's the only reason he drops number three i can explain verlander easily i can explain garrett cole very easily but there's not like just that data that that DeGrom has that would put him other the other two for me. And look, Jacob DeGrom has a couple of things going for him. Um, like, for instance, he plays he plays in uh, City Field. City Field is not really a, a hitter-friendly ballpark. You know, it, it's hard to hit home runs out of there. They've moved in the walls a couple of times. So he does have that going for him. Uh, another thing that I, that I love about DeGrom and just where he's at in his career, he was fairly injured early on. So he started his major league career a little bit later. So for a 31 year old, he's actually pretty fresh. He's not. He's not like a guy like, like he's not like JV when he was 31, who had so many innings behind him. You know, right now the Grom has kind of hit his his prime point, and he's sitting right in the middle of that. And we'll see whether he gets better or worse this next year. But you know, he was he was definitely there. And you know, cont- continuing with just the power numbers, uh, as far as the barrel rate, the league average barrel rate, as far as when pitchers throwing it and hitters just barreling it up and barreling it up usually leads to, you know, hits and extra base hits. He's had one of the lowest in that time for starters and relievers. And that's 4.1 in 2018 and 5% in 2019. And the league average is about seven. So he's been exceptionally good at that. And that's something that, you know, Justin Verlander hasn't done, but exactly kind of like we said, Verlander goes right at hitters and, and the doesn't as much. So I kind of explains that number. But, you know, still, I, you know, I love DeGrom. He's going to be pitching in City Field for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we can't really take that away from him. And he hits home runs too, man. I, I don't know if you guys seen that video of him taking Chris Hill deep. But my dude, Race, yeah. he ain't afraid of none of y'all. For real. 
You know, and he's in the NL. What's up? One thing on DeGrom that I, I can't explain just from knowing pitching mechanics that he does much better than any other pitcher. He's got a very, very long stride. And I believe he's six foot four. Is that? Yeah, he's six four. So six four. Not only is he tall, but he has a long stride and his release point is a lot is a lot farther, a lot closer to the plate than most six foot four pitchers. And believe it or not, that is a big difference to a hitter. When you see a guy that's six four or a guy that's five eleven, you have an expectation of how quick that ball is gonna get on you from out of the hand to home plate. And he releases the ball about a foot and a half closer to the plate than most six foot four pitchers. That is a huge difference, and that explains a lot why his barrel rate is lower. Um, so that's from a mechanic standpoint, he does that better than a lot of pitchers in the game. You want to hear something stupid though? Jacob Degrom kind of looks like Gumby, just because he's so long <laughs> and he, and he, he kind of just has like arms and legs coming at you. His teammate Noah Syndergaard is six six, and I just found that out right right now when I googled their height. Noah Syndergaard does not look six six compared to compared to Degrom. If I would have bet on this like five minutes ago. I would have bet a bazillion dollars the Grom was taller than Syndergaard. And, you know, they're not, at least according to Google. And, you know, Google never lies. But anyway, yo, Rob, man, how about you, man? You had the Grom one. We both had the Grom one. But how come the Grom was so high on your list? Yeah, so I had DeGrom at number one. I think the I think the conversation that we're having right now is a pretty fun one because I don't know if one of you guys can answer the question for me. I wasn't able to to find like a concrete answer, but I can't really remember a time where the Yankees and Mets both had like one of the like top three best pitchers in baseball, like undisputed best pitchers in baseball. Um, so it, it's a it's a good time to to be a, a New York fan, you know. Overall, you know, you have Degrom out with the Mets, and now Garrett Cole out here with the Yankees. Um, however, you know, I, I still think, given his work in the past two seasons, Degrom has to be without without a doubt, at least for me, the best pitcher in baseball. I think, you know, like like you mentioned, he he came into the league when he was 26, and in six years that he's been pitching for the Mets, he's he's just turned into such a dominant force, and I think. When we look at J- Jacob Degrom's career, he's kind of like a case study. I'm kind of I'm kind of happy that he's pitching in this era that we're in now because I don't think that Jacob Degrom would be appreciated as much as he is nowadays if he was pitching like a decade or two ago. Simply because um, you know baseball has kind of moved away from focusing on win loss. Like I feel like when I was younger, that was like the crave with everyone like you know you were always looking at someone's win loss record like someone could be 20 and 5 with like a 3.5 ERA um and someone would automatically think that guy's better than the guy who was like you know like 12 and 3 with like a 2 ERA you know just because those 20 wins kind of just signify like a higher standard for people but I'm kind of happy that we moved away from that because it's if you look at his stats it's kind of incredible I mean in the last two seasons he has a 21 and 17 record Justin Verlander got 21 wins last season alone. So Jacob DeGrom has gotten the same total that Verlander got last season in two seasons. But, you know, you pair that 21 and 17 record with a 2.06 ERA, a .941 whip, and it leads to -to back-to-back Cy Young awards. And, you know, like like I said, he's just become such a dominant force. Um, I think what Nick was pointing out, I kind of agree with in the fact that there's not one – there's not one key thing that you point to the Grom and and it kind of leads you to explain why he's so good. But I think he just does a lot of things well. 
you know, he goes out there, he holds opposing hitters to to kind of like low quality hits. He doesn't give up that many runs. He gets a decent amount of strikeouts. Like he's not he's not going to be like a necessary like a 300 strikeout pitcher like a lot of the other dominant guys on this list. But he can get you like 225-ish, 240-ish um, consistently. Um, and he's just overall workhorse. You know, he has three straight seasons of 200 plus innings pitch. Um, and he kind of goes a little bit, a little bit um, away from the norm. Because how we did mention that he did come into the season at age 26, I don't think he was as highly touted of a prospect as, say, a Garrett Cole or even like a Steven Strasburg. I feel like there's been a lot less attention on Jacob DeGrom until he became this type of pitcher. But, you know, since the start of 2018, he's first in ERA. He's first in ERA plus. He's first in opponent OPS. Like, he's held hitter. He's held hitters to a 550 OPS. Like, his domination like like the numbers in which he's dominating these hitters is just incredible and i think the, the key with him i'm not really focusing on if he's the number one pitcher right now i think i've made that case at least for myself he is my number one the thing that i'm focusing on this season with him is can he get a third straight cy young because if he does it'll be him randy johnson and greg maddox as the only three players to get three straight cy youngs and to, i don't know about you guys but anytime you're mentioned in the same breath as randy johnson and greg maddox I feel like that's got to be a good thing. Yeah, you're okay. You're, you're okay if you get mentioned with those two guys. Not like they did anything good with their careers or anything. But yeah, yeah no, you mentioned a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But now, look, uh, the one thing you mentioned with him is as far as stepping into today's game and not being and being appreciated for what he does. You know, once you said that, it automatically reminded me of Felix Hernandez, a guy who was severely underappreciated when he played for the Mariners. And if you did look at things just like at, at the win-loss total, we would not be able to, you know, appreciate what we're watching because, you know, the wins aren't there. But he also plays for the worst team in New York. No offense, Matt fans. But, you know, it, when things like that happen, you know, we're lucky enough that we appreciate certain things more than others in today's game. And, and that lets us appreciate somebody like Jacob DeGrom. Who, not, not to take – I'm sorry, not to take anything away from, from DeGrom, but, you know – we were talking a little bit ago how Nick mentioned about Verlander with with the home runs, with the innings that he pitched and the home runs that he gives up. I mean, Jacob DeGrom pitched over 200 innings as well, and he gave up a low total of home runs. And I don't know about you guys, but to me, DeGrom is even a little bit more impressive simply because he doesn't have the same lineup behind him that Verlander does. Yeah, I that's, mean, that's how many deadly. times did Nick just meant? Yeah, Nick just mentioned that he loves Verlander's mentality. But to me, it's a lot easy to go after hitters when you know your guys are there to back you up. You know if you like mess up on a pitch and you give up you know, this home run here or there or whatever, you have one of the deadliest lineups in baseball to back you up. So the fact that the Grom has been able to put up the numbers that he has with a much weaker Mets lineup, that's pretty impressive to me in and of itself. And that's a great point. You're right. It is a different mentality of pitching when you don't have that kind of offensive weaponry behind you and, and that being said you know Jacob DeGrom's our number one before we go I want you guys to kind of freestyle on somebody that you guys want to talk about a little bit more Nick man we'll start off with you who, who's one guy who you want to talk about because like I said you're pitching you're a pitching guru out here man who, who you got that you feel needs some attention coming into 2020 so this list was really weird the one through four were I mean I'm not going to be mad at anybody who puts them in any order. I mean, literally one through four, you can put them whatever order you want because they're all a number one in the game of baseball. And then after that, five through 15, I actually did a ranking of the top 25, but five through 15 were really 
it like everybody's got a flaw. It's just how big is that flaw? Nobody's been consistent for very long, and nobody's also been like wildly inconsistent for very long. So the order for me, five through fifteen, was <laughs> I mean, felt like dartboard. Like, hey, let me put some pictures up and throw a dart. But the one guy I really want to point out is Jack Flaherty, and the reason is is because I had him at number six, which is tremendously high for a half season. And you know, when we we're talking a little bit earlier, it's like, okay, well, the last guy who had a studly second half was Jake Arrieta. What's he done since then? And for me, watching Jack Flaherty in the second half of last year, particularly around fantasy baseball, because middle of the year, I always try to find guys that I think are, you know, they're not living up to the potential in the first half. I might be able to make a trade and get them on my team for that studly second half. And in the first half of last year, I, I didn't watch a lot of Cardinals games the last few years. He wasn't, you know, I heard about his name. And what he did last year and the way he evolved his fastball is amazing, his curveball is good, and he's developing that changeup. He's going from a two to a three-pitch pitcher, but he is almost like Jacob DeGrom, where when you watch him pitch, you there's nothing that stands out. Like That's why this guy is so studly, and his ceiling is through the roof, and his ceiling is the number one guy in the league. It's, it's Jacob DeGrom, and we saw that the second half of last year. So I really, you know, this year I want to dig in on him, you know, personally to find out why was he so effective and is it something that he, that he can continue? And the little bit that I've done the last couple of weeks is with him is just his his fastball is so good and he challenges guys, but he's also very pinpoint with it. And I I just, I don't, it's weird. Like usually when somebody has a great second half like that, you know, all time and unprecedented and it kind of comes out of nowhere, I don't really buy into it. But just looking at the way he pitched last year and looking at some changes that he made, you know, in his wind up a little bit and just the way he started going after hitters differently in the second half, I really see what he did last year is sustainable. He's not going to have a .98 uh, whip again, but his strikeout rate is legit, his ERA is legit, and he is an ace. And the Cardinals, as nationally known as they are, really don't get talked about a whole lot. So he can be under, under the radar for one more year, but I'm really excited to see Jack Flaherty this year. Yeah, no, look, man, that second half was something like... That was a historic second half. We really look into it, and I, I'm sure somebody has or will. But I, I want someone to find the comparison of that second half to other second halves we've had across the the league. But yo, with that, yo, Rob, who's one guy you want to give some extra time to? Boy, Nick really went out here with Jack Flaherty, though. <laughs> like we we had this we had this discussion beforehand, but you know, I'll let I'll let Nick have Jack Flaherty. I'm not the biggest Flaherty fan, um, but he's in my top ten for now. But I'm, I'm going to focus on on Mike Clevenger. And I'm going to go a little bit away from, from just numbers. I'm going to focus on the potential of Mike Clevenger as a personality for the game of baseball. I put him at number 10. Um, I think anyone who has Clevenger ranked in that like 7 to like 15-ish range, um, I think he's that good number-wise um, the last couple years. He's definitely made a case as one of the best pitchers in baseball. You know, you have Corey Kluber gone in Cleveland now. So you kind of have your pick, whether you see Clevenger or Shane Bieber as the ace out in Cleveland. Um, but Clevenger as a personality, he can be huge for the game of baseball. Like, he's a guy who just exhibits this attitude about him. Kind of how we just were talking about Justin Verlander. You know, a guy who's not afraid to go after hitters. He's just going to go out there. He's going to throw at hitters. Like, he's kind of there just like, look, hit my pitch if you can. Um, he kind of has that that dog mentality as well. And he has numbers to back him up. I wish he can. I wish he, he would just uh, consistently be able to throw more innings. I do think he got, 
he suffered a minor injury this past season. No, it was a big um, one. He, believe... he had back spasms. He was out for a while. Oh, yeah. Okay, then. Yeah, but he because he only pitched like 126 innings. Yeah. Um. So I wasn't. I forgot since I don't follow Cleveland like super close. I didn't know if that was just um. You know, like uh, I don't know why he he had missed those games. But I think as a personality, I don't know if you guys saw the the video that he recorded where he was getting <laughs> where he was getting tatted up and he was talking about the Houston Astros. Yeah, definitely and saw that one. Way, yeah, that was awesome, dude. The way he was talking about the Astros, even being a Yankee fan. Like he being from from the, the Cleveland Indians hyped me up for the baseball season as a whole. Just because now I'm like now I want to see the Cleveland Indians play the Houston Astros, and I feel like the game is missing guys like that. That their ability to talk, you know, like like there's a lot of guys who who based on what they do on the field, whether they're home run hitters, whether they're defensive wizards, you kind of like fall in love with the game and you fall in love with how they play the game and they make you want to watch the game, but. I feel like that's another side of the game, in, you know, in terms of marketing, guys' ability to talk, guys' ability to talk you into wanting to watch a game. And Mike Clevenger definitely has that. I feel he could be huge for the game of baseball. And, you know, that combined with the fact that he's a guy who's also going out there and dominating hitters and putting up his own numbers. Um, I think that's a guy who we should definitely focus on. I have him at number 10 this year, but I could easily see him being eight, seven, six, five, you know, as we move on here with the years to come. I have a seven just behind Flaherty. I like him a lot too. I had him outside my top ten, but he was he was up there. Like Nick mentioned, from like nine to fifteen, that was kind of my range for him. But no, nah, man, look, guys, if you love baseball, you gotta find his you gotta find his video. It's actually pretty awesome. He's just out here getting tatted, just straight up saying how the Astros are a whole bunch of like dick bags for for a better word. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's, there's, they, they they shouldn't be allowed to look at, look them in the eye. <laughs> There's no love lost, man. Can't wait for those games. I, I, I'm saying it's going to be interesting. You know, the guy I want to talk about is a guy who might be a little surprising, but he's someone that's very underappreciated, in my opinion, at least at this point in his career. And that's Charlie Morton. Look, I, I don't think I'd take Charlie Morton as uh, like an ace type guy. I don't have Charlie Morton as a guy that if I had one game on the line, I want him out there. But he's consistent and he's been putting up numbers for the last three years. You know, he was a Cy Young contender this year again with Tampa Bay. His ERA has gone down. His innings pitched has got, have gone up, which is always my biggest concern with Charlie Moore and the fact that he didn't really have those innings pitched. And now last year, he almost got to 200, which a lot of guys, a few guys on our list didn't make to 200 last year. So, you know, I mean, he, he, went to the, he went to the Astros and pitch calling absolutely changed his game. He went from being a primary fastball guy to not being a guy who throws more curveballs than he does fastballs. And that has really worked out for him in his career. And he's been a really great addition to that, you know, Tampa, Tampa Bay Rays pitching rotation. That's very underrated because, you know, you have Boston, you have New York, you have all the exciting stuff happening with Toronto that Tampa Bay kind of gets, you know, swept under the rug a little bit, but they're always contending. They're, they're always a really annoying team. And I don't know if they ever win a World Series with the squad they have. But they they definitely make things interesting during the regular season. And you know, with, with that being said, guys, thank you for coming through. You know, as always, SAWs on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We keep this going. We might get a TikTok. We're stealing all your people. ESPN, Buster Only, we're coming for you. We got that perk package. And for everybody else, just thank you for listening. And just one last thing before we go.
Hey guys, we want to thank you for listening to the Diamond Talk podcast presented by The Craft Factory. Stay tuned for the next episode. But until then, if you have any statements, comments, or you want your questions answered live on the podcast, feel free to email us at diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. That's diamondtalkpodcast at gmail.com. See you soon.